0: Well, good morning, everyone. This is Dwayne Dara. Uh, I'm at home with COVID, and uh, I'm on plaqueslovid, so I'm uh, hanging in there, uh, trying to keep Jackie well as well. So I'm not going to be at church on Sunday, but I did want to get this message, if I could, out to you guys. Um, Great to see you. Uh, I can't see you, but you're here. Uh, If you were on vacation last week, we began a new series called A Better Way. Uh, I developed this series from some messages delivered by Craig Rochelle, who's the lead pastor of Life Church out in Oklahoma. So uh, like I did last week, I just want to give him credit for the overall concept, and I've included a bunch of his points uh, in this series. Uh, He hit a nerve I've been feeling a need to speak to for a while, especially in our frantic world in the D.C. area. Speaking of Craig Rochelle, uh, he tells a kind of a funny story. Uh, He and his wife, Amy, were on a trip to a conference a while back. Uh, They head to the hotel gym. Craig's working on his core and his arms, and Amy heads for the treadmill. When he gets finished, he looks over, and Amy is still working on the treadmill. So he kind of wakes up, walks over, leans on the rail of the treadmill, and says to her, what's a cute thing like you doing in a place like this? And it was so goofy that uh, she laughed and giggled. So they chatted a bit as she was finishing up her workout. Now what Greg did not know was that his elbow was leaning against the button that controlled the speed of the treadmill. It was a nice treadmill so it didn't pick up speed rapidly but ever so slowly. And as he was talking with his wife, she started to walk a little faster. (laughs) He didn't notice it until her eyes started to look a little confused and slightly afraid. Next thing, it wasn't a fast walk but it turned into a slow jog and then it was a full blown sprint. Uh, She was grabbing the rails and lifting her legs up to save her life. Finally, he realized that he was the culprit, prompting Amy to ask, what are you trying to kill me or something? Laugh, good thing, because she wasn't laughing. Uh, Craig says that they can now laugh about it now. But when you think of it, it's probably a good illustration of what happens in our own lives. Little by little, barely noticeable at first. We do a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And we get a little bit more efficient. We get a little bit more aggressive and we take on a job and move to another job and then to another job. We take on a car payment. Our girlfriend becomes a wife and we take on a house payment. The wife has a baby and then there are diapers and then another baby and more diapers. And then there's preschool and soccer and dance and ballet and races. And all of a sudden we wake up one day and feel overwhelmed. And I wonder how many of you in your own way would say, I always feel just a little bit rushed or anxious or overwhelmed at all that I have to do. And there's just not enough hours in the day. And so if you're like me, we try to squeeze a little bit more time out of the day. We try to become more efficient. You know, we do things like this. We analyze the lines at the grocery stores or analyze the potential capacity and speed of the cars ahead of us as we pull up to a light, trying to get into the lane that we think is gonna move faster once it turns green. And it's not just being rushed, but I wonder how many of us would also say that occasionally, maybe even often, we're kind of disappointed at the way life seems to be going because of the pace and the intensity. Sometimes maybe you start to think, is there something here that's missing? I really don't have time to do the things I'd really like to do. No time to do the things that I love. Or worse yet, I really don't even have time for the people that I love. And you might start to ask yourself, is life really supposed to be this way? So here's the question. What if the greatest enemy to the life that you really want is the life that you are living? Let me say that again. What if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that you're living? So the title for today's message is, When You Are Too Busy for What Matters. So let's pray and we'll dig in. God, we thank you that by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word, that you would speak to us in a way that will lead us not just to the truth of Jesus, but also Jesus lived and loved the way that Jesus loved. And so we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here's a confession, right? The message I'm going to try to share with you today would have been super difficult messages for me to preach, say, five, six years ago, because it would have been different from the way I lived then. In fact, you don't have to be around me for long to get it that i like to get things done. I really do. I hate not getting things done. I abhor Meetings for meetings' sake, but I do love meetings where things can get done, as well as building relationship. I, was, I coined the phrase: "The devil doesn't take a day off, so neither should I." But I could have, right? And especially so since I love this job. Here's a pastor. It makes it easier for me to spend more time at it, maybe than I should. So I shared last week how I've sought to rejigger things so that I'm more able to be present like Jesus was wherever he went. Jesus on a mission. And Jesus loves being engaged in what God has for us too, right? Jesus claims being hooked together, you know, not a burden. And so our work with God is supposed to be made easy and not a burden. Doesn't that sound kind of refreshing? It did to me. Truth be told, I've been on the prowl for keeping a work-life balance all my adult professional life. Of course, helping me out was Jackie, greatest wife ever, who was always quick to get in my face when I started to drift. Things got off well enough. I was in a five-person carpool for the first years at CIA. And my one day a week to drive, yeah, we stuffed five people into my AMC Mellow Yellow Gremlin, and I was able to work 8 to 4.30. And then somehow I got noticed. My boss came up to me one day and asked me, what would you say if I told you you were being considered as a special assistant to the Associate Deputy Director for Intelligence, the ADDI, the second in command of the entire analytic arm of the agency? I said, "Uh, uh, am I being considered for the job as a special assistant to the ADDI? (laughs) She said, yes. I said, well, okay." A few days later, she came out to me and said, uh, what would you say if I told you, <clears throat> excuse me, you were gonna be interviewed for that job? <clears throat> I said, well, am I gonna be interviewed for that job? She said, yes. I said, okay. Later that day, I get called up to the interview. I figured there was uh, never a chance I was getting that job since I mentioned that I was in a five person carpool and we only had one car and a child. And I was told, well, you're not gonna be able to keep that carpool thing going anymore. We would need you in the office by 6.30 a.m. every day the, during the work, work work week. I said, man, that sounds like a lot to work through. And the interview ended and I felt pretty good about not getting that job because uh, I didn't know how it would work out at home. So I kind of breathed a sigh of relief. A Few days go by, my boss comes to me and says, what would you say if I told you I'm going to be offered the job as a special assistant to the ADDI? I said, am I going to be offered the job as a special assistant to the ADDI? She said, yes. I said, well, I probably need to get thinking seriously about this. Within an hour, I get called up to the seventh floor where the bigwigs live. The ADDI me the job. And I said, could I have a couple of days to think about it? He was a bit surprised. Um, but he said, sure, but don't take more than that. I go home, chat with Jackie about it. We decided the only way to make this work was to splurge and buy a car. We ended up buying a Chevy Citation so that I could take the assignment. I called the ADDI's office a couple of days later, made an appointment to see him. And tell him, I would be happy to take the job as your special assistant. He said this as he kind of paid me back. Okay, let me think about it for a couple of days. And I'm so stupid. I'm leaving even thinking, okay, maybe I'm off the hook after all. What I didn't know was that the whole seventh floor was on the floor laughing hysterically, since I was the only person they actually interviewed. And it was a done deal that I was getting that job from the beginning. Anyway, from that job on, I was typically in the office at 6.30 a.m. for the rest of my career. But I would uh, do all that I could to leave the office to be able to be home for dinner and evenings with the family. And I'm guessing, and I'm of you, or at least many of you, are not as much of a daffy duck as I was, not knowing what was really going on. But I'm guessing that a lot of you are busier than you want to be or think that you should be. Because we got places to. Read. Kids, news to read, biased news to read, so we can get really mad. Dinner to mow, dinner to cook, clothes to buy, clothes to wash, clothes not to wear, more clothes to buy because we don't wear the clothes we got, photos to take, captions to write, soul numbing Netflix series to binge out on, right? And just because of the. of Life, it's what it is. We find ourselves going faster and faster and faster until we're sprinting. And you realize, hey, I don't have time for some of the things I wish I had time for. We really don't have time for meals with the family or friends. We really don't have time for deep conversations with our friends. We don't have time to rest or reflect or read or really enjoy intimacy with our Heavenly Father. We just don't have time. But the good news is that neither does anybody. Okay, else is busy, so maybe that's God's will. What if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life that you want might be the life that you're currently living? And that's why we're in a message series called A Better Way. We're not just looking at the truth of Jesus' will, but we're also examining the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved. In fact, when you look at the Gospels, and take a step back, it's pretty fascinating to think about the way that Jesus lived. He had three years of ministry, and that was it. Three years of public ministry. And in those three years, he embraced the Father's mission. He recruited a heavenly team of 12 kind of ragtags. He trained them in scripture, kingdom values. He endured the hatred of the Pharisees. He resisted the temptation of the devil. He healed all sorts of sick people, loved all sorts of hurting people. He preached he ended up fulfilling all 351 of the Old Testament prophecies. And never once in any of the four Gospels do we see Jesus running, jogging, fast walking, skipping, sprinting. Yeah, he was busy, but he was never rushed, it seems. He never said to his disciples, come on, boys, we're behind schedule. Let's pick up the pace. He never said, well, if Thomas is late to the meeting, we'll just start without him. If he's not packed, ready for the journey, we'll leave him behind to teach him a lesson. Hey, they need us in Capernaum. We got to get there right now. Now he was busy with important stuff, but he never seemed to be rushed on the inside. In fact, I'm going to show you a phrase from Mark's gospel, uh, Mark 2.14. And this is a phrase you can see over and over again in other gospels. The phrase is this, and as Jesus passed by, we see this articulated in many different ways. And we see things like passing along the Sea of Galilee. A little further, rising very early, he departed and went to a desolate place to pray. Place to pray, he went out again beside the sea. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. He went up upon the mountain. Then he went home. But back to Mark two fourteen, as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alpheus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. I was thinking about Levi, called Matthew uh, elsewhere in the Gospels, and it was fascinating to me. If Jesus was unrushed and Levi followed Jesus, then as Levi walked with Jesus, then Levi should have been living an unrushed life. And then I thought about us. I thought, hey, if we're following an unrushed Jesus, shouldn't we be living an unrushed unhurried life. But the way I live and the way most of us live is very Jesus lives. So if you find yourself kind of like Amy on the treadmill and the pace is picked up beyond what you expected or want, and you're often rushed or stressed or overwhelmed or exhausted trying to get everything done and always feeling like you're falling short, Jesus invites you to come follow him. He invites you to come follow him. And he wants to give us something many of us have not experienced in a long time, rest. A little bit slower pace that allows us to be present in the moments of life. We looked last week at a passage where Jesus kind of hits that point. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want to revisit that again, but I want to read it to you from a paraphrased version known as the message. To be clear, this is not a word-for-word translation, it's more of a devotional translation from a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he translates that that verse, those verses this way, loosely. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus always says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. Walk with me, watch how I walk. Watch how I love, watch how I walk with me. So it's not just believing what Jesus said. Yeah, we got to do that, right? But how about we give some effort to live the way that Jesus lived out what he said? And I just want you to think about the way that he lived. He only lived 33 years. He was called to be perfect, save the world. His mission was to give his life. And he waited 30 years before he initiated a public ministry. It's fascinating to think about what Jesus did. God the Father, heaven opens up and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And the Father says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. God affirms him, even before he publicly does anything in ministry. So Jesus arrives, and is commissioned to save and rescue. He's ready to go out and do what he came to do. Look at the first thing he does. Takes a 40 day sabbatical. Well, sort of, if you consider not eating anything for 40 days out in the wilderness, a sabbatical. The Spirit leads Jesus out to the desert, a dry place, 40 days. In those 40 days, he draws close to God, strengthened by God, and at the end, he fights off the temptations of the enemy is solidified in who he's called to be. He takes those first 40 days. Then think about his first miracle. What was it? It's interesting to me. It was at a wedding. He goes to a wedding. He wasn't the showman or the star. He didn't officiate the wedding, claiming himself to be the son of God. No, he went to the wedding and stayed for all of it. And near the very end, the wedding party brought out. wine. Jesus' mom asked Jesus for some help. Jesus doesn't do the miracle in front of the wedding. party of the worst at the wedding. He produces the best wine ever. It seems like He stays until the very end, just enjoying himself and the wedding party. Think about his call to the uh, ER, right? In Mark 5, we see this. Mark 5, it says this, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, being Jesus, went with him, and a great crowd followed and thronged about him. So Jesus is being interrupted by this fellow. And Jesus goes with him, probably not going with blazing speed. Why? Because they're making their way through a massive crowd that's pressing in on Jesus from every side. That's what thronged about him means. Now watch this. Things get interesting. I mean, in this moment, what could be more important than this little girl who's sick? Well, here's what happens. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood Get the picture. (coughs) Heading towards Jairus' house to heal his daughter. This woman manages to get up there and touch Jesus' garment and feels her body is healed. Jesus himself knows that some healing power has gone out from him. So no real reason to stop, right? The healing work is done. Whoever touched me is healed. I better keep on going, heading to Jairus' house. No, he doesn't do that. No, Jesus stops, and he's in the middle of a great crowd. It's not some quiet crowd, lots of pushing, lots of shoving going on, lots of noise. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing all around you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Okay, so she gave Jesus her whole wretched story of her life and how it had gone so far. And Jesus listened to everything that she said. He didn't cut her off. He two minutes, apparently when she wrapped up everything, finished saying her life story, only then did Jesus speak. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be held, healed of your disease. So imagine in this scenario that you, how are you dealing with this little delay with your daughter at home dying? Can you imagine what Jairus is doing right now? He's got to be beside himself. He's probably thinking, let's get a move on, Jesus. Remember where we're going? To take care of my little girl who is sick and dying. You can always come back and talk to this gal later. Let's stay on task. Imagine how Jairus is dealing with this, with what happens next. Okay. While he was still speaking to the woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further jairus has to be crushed by this development but interestingly jairus doesn't even have the chance to make a comment before jesus speaks but overhearing what they said the some who came and told jairus that his daughter's dead jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue jairus do not fear only believe And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and who knows how long that took to get there. Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. We'll soon see in the Gospel of John that this is exactly what Jesus says about Lazarus, who is dead and decomposing in a tomb. He's only sleeping. Let's go wake him up. Why? Because there's a resurrection coming. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, in Aramaic, little girl, I said to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. I guess 12-year-old girls walk around. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. So here's a question. Was Jesus just unharried? Did he get sidetracked by something that was less important? You tell me. What's more magnificent? Healing a sick person or raising them from the dead? Jesus did, as we are told in Scripture, exactly as directed by his Father. He was not a minute late, nor a minute early, right on time. Everything in his life, moment by moment, right on time. Just look at Jesus' transportation choice. He's the Son of God, right? he's, he's planning a triumphal entry into Jerusalem on an animal, he could choose whatever he wants. I'm Jesus. I'm showing up on a horse, like a warrior king. A white one, a fast one, a stallion. No, he comes riding in on a donkey. By the way, a donkey is a walking animal, not a running one. Ain't no donkey ever in a rush. You're never going to a red light. Promise you that, okay? He walked. If Jesus wasn't rushed and we're called to follow Jesus, what should that look like for us? Jesus wasn't rushed in his soul, why do you think we are? Well, I'm just a preacher, not a counselor. So I can't really say for sure, but here's my guess. Based on a lot of pastoral ministry, my guess is if we really simplified it, most of us are rushed over work pressure and pushing it because we're either running for something or running to something. Most of us, me, I guess, if I analyze it, I'm probably running from insignificance or running towards acceptance. I don't know what yours would be. You might be running from a past failure or something that someone said about you. You might be running from an insecurity that you're going to you know, figure out how to overcome and prove them all wrong. Maybe you're running from a hurt or abuse, or maybe you're running to something. You've got the goals. You've got the vision. I'm going to get married. He's going to be so fine. He's going to love Jesus. We're going to get matching cross tattoos. We're going to name our kids Elijah and Mary because they're in the Bible. You know, we're going to have a dog and a cat. We'll name him Levi. We'll name the cat Judas. It's a cat, okay? All right? okay. You're running towards success. You're running towards the image. You're running towards popularity. You're running towards fame. You're running towards being liked, right? The problem for most people in today's culture is that we're chasing a life that will still have us empty once we find it. What if the greatest enemy to the life that you actually want is the life that you're living right now? Always rushed, always pushing it, some of you might say, Dwayne, you don't, you don't understand what real life is. I've got a full-time job. You're just a pastor. You only work on Sundays. You're not going to get it. You don't, I don't have the time. I literally can't get it all done. I can't slow down. There's just way too many moving parts. Well, here's my response to that. <coughs> I had a full career, 33 years at CIA, before this full-time gig as a pastor, in a job where lives were at stake, sometimes even my own, unless you think being 75 yards away from a suicide bomb in Tel Aviv is a safe place to be. Maybe I could buy into what you're saying for pastors who graduate high school, go to college, then go to seminary, then take a church job without ever having had a regular job in the real real world. Maybe those pastors really do not know what regular church members go through in life. I personally to have had such real-world experience. And I did have those years at C. Respectfully, you must line on. I've lived as a Christian in a very high-pressure job in the real world. So I want to say to you that you have time for what you choose to have time for. You really do. You have time. You have time for what you choose to have time for. And if I can get all up in your business just a little bit, the solution is not more time. The solution is more of what. Let me repeat that. The solution is more of what matters most. And the reason why most of us don't have time for what matters most is that we are spending our lives on what matters less. And I'll prove it to you. I could take any number of different illustrations, but I've chosen three that are incredibly common social media, TV, and video games. Okay, I know, ouch. Let's start with social media. Here's what the stats say. The average person in the United States spends 706 hours a year on social media. Now, we are talking average Americans, which includes all the old people in nursing homes, hospitals, rehab centers, hospice care. It includes grandmas and grandpas who are computer and phone. It includes all the infants and babies that can't get formula right now and their toddler, toddler siblings. It includes all the people in poor regions of the country who do not have internet access or can't afford phones. It includes the 2 million incarcerated prisoners around the country. There are probably some other categories I've missed, right? But the good news is a lot of you are younger than the average, which means that your social media hours are significantly above the average. Actually, you're way above average here in NOVA. Let's just go with a 706-hour average. How much time is that? Maybe the best way to do it is give give a comparison. It's usually eight hours, right? spending 706 hours on social media a year, if you divided that up into just normal work days is approximately four and a half months of working hours that people spend on social media. yeah, you have time for what you choose to have time for. TV is a little worse, 2,700 hours a year, average, binge watching the latest version of whatever your popular shows are. How about video games? Okay, I'll pick them, the guys. The average guy by the age of 21 has spent 10,000 hours on video games. 10,000 hours by the age of 21. What could you do with 10,000 hours? Well, you could get a job at Walmart, make it 15 bucks an hour and earn $150,000. You could read uh, 2,000 books. Uh, You could probably become a concert pianist or some other super skill in some area of interest that you have. You could get your pilot's license. You can memorize the New Testament. You could get your undergraduate and graduate degrees. Let's take it to relationships. You could probably save a struggling marriage if you devoted that much energy to the person that you're thinking about walking away from. Maybe you could reconcile a relationship with a family member that's gone bad. You could have the most intimate and delightful relationship with your children that you've ever imagined if you just put away whatever the less important thing is that you're doing and invested your time better you might be able to find something that you're doing that really matters or we can just keep on wasting our lives away on stuff that doesn't what if the greatest enemy to the life that we want is the life that we're currently living so what do i do now duane and the answer is i don't really know I'm working on this just like you guys. So I really don't know. What I'm not going to do, what I'm going to do is tell you this, if we don't slow down and take stock, God may make us slow down and take stock. And that's what he did for me. Through that cancer thing I had back in 2019 and 20, and through Jackie's physical stuff in recent years, I've had to wrestle with keeping this job in perspective because there were a bunch of other things that became priorities. I've told you before that we we take vacations and I'd be pressing to be working every available minute I could on those vacations. A few years ago, I said, enough already. And I knocked that off. I don't get in my car and drive any place listening to music. I use that time to think, to let God talk to me. If there's someone else in the car with me, I use it to connect with that person or those people. When I was flying all over the place, I used that time on the plane to chill, to think, not to get work done that led me back to the basics. Who's God? Who am I? What does God want from me? Right now, frankly, it's even changed a bit what I preach and how I preach. The answer at its core, the best answer is that God is love and not just what he does, but it's who he is. What's the greatest command? Jesus said, love the Lord your God, while your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what else? And love your neighbor as yourself. At the core of all that God calls us is to love, to be loved by him, to love him back, and to love people on behalf of that love. The challenge... Mark Comer writes about in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says that love is incompatible with hurry. Love is incompatible with hurry. Well, yeah, like you, I'm usually in a hurry. Instead... Love. Love and hurry don't mix. In scripture, when Paul is describing or defining love, the very first characteristic he mentions is patient. Love takes its time. Hurry doesn't have time. Well, I've been praying just, just one sentence prayer. I'm gonna invite you and challenge you, maybe for you. To pray it too. You can even have a cup of coffee and pray with your cup of coffee in the morning. Just gonna challenge you to do it for the next seven days. Every day for seven days, pray this, mean it, sit in it and see what God does as you ask him to do this. The prayer is very simple. It's this, God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. Now, what's going to happen if you pray that prayer? The answer is I don't really know for sure. But I will tell you what God's been doing in me. He's been teaching me in the moments. I'm starting to recognize that I'm often somewhere physically, physically there mentally. And as I've been praying this prayer, I'm finding I'm more able to engage with my kids and my wife and leave my phone to the side. I'm listening to people, and oftentimes my mind might be trying to spin away. I'm seeing needs in the lives of people that I was often too busy to see. And I'm actually entering into the joy of hurting with people who are hurting. And there's a sense of fulfillment. Celebrating with those who celebrate and grieving with those who grieve or something rich about that. It's just helping me be present in the moment. Second thing, it's helping me to choose what's important and to eliminate what isn't. And I'm just asking God to lead my steps and help me walk slowly. I'm just more aware that picking up my phone to look at something is not nearly as important as the person who is right in front of me. Helping me say no to what doesn't matter and yes to what does. Things that I tend to just end up drifting towards that really don't matter all much. Here's what you might find. Let me just say this clearly. You may say no to some good things right now in order to say yes to some better things. And just because you say no right now doesn't mean you have to say no forever. It may be no for right now, but not forever. You may like or love. I don't know gardening, or playing on the softball team, or whatever, which are teens. So you may have a no for now, but it's not necessarily a no forever. It's just in this season, there's something more important. But my point is that is that you and I do have time for what we choose to have time for. The solution isn't more time, it's more of what matters. And I think this prayer might help us and in the moment to choose what's most important and to eliminate what's not. And most importantly to me, is it's helping me to sense God's presence and recognize his voice. It's helping me see him working in places I was just too busy to notice before. He's prompting me when I'm with somebody and not just in the conversation, get on with something else, right? I gotta tell you, I think Jesus wants to take us to a deeper, different level. If you walk slower with Jesus, he'll help you love him and experience him, and also help you love people around you more. And if that happens, pretty much guarantee that you will start to notice that you are becoming a little bit more like the Jesus who just walked along, loving God, loving people, and being used by God in the moments. So my invitation, again, for you to just join me for seven days, pray this prayer, see what happens every day. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply.